Hey, good morning. Wow, could you turn to someone around and say good morning to someone around you for a moment? Do you mind doing that real quick? And uh, look around in this room. This is absolutely amazing. Thank you for being here. I am so thrilled. Thank you for those of us who are joining us at home. You have to realize that even with this crowd that we have in here today, then there are this many or more that are watching us online also. So what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to share the gospel. So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, say Romans chapter 1 and 2, two verses, and I want to share those with you. It gives us an opportunity this morning to talk about community and connection. For the next two weeks, we're talking about this subject of Better Together, a mini-series within a series as we've been preaching through the book of Romans. It's an opportunity for us to talk about, well, a couple of things. One is that of commitment and uh, uh, to one another, which is absolutely important, inseparable from our commitment to God. It really is that you and I were committed or we were created to, to serve God in community all the way from that of the book of Genesis. So I want to touch on that. So next week, Pastor um, Nathan is going to be talking to us about how we commit to one another in community. Today, I want to talk to you about this journey of belonging or becoming, and we're going to talk about that of how we commit to God through this spiritual journey of ours. Now, I, I want to say something that's kind of funny, and, 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 but as they brought my table out, and if you've been here before, they bring all this stuff out for me. You know, we have little X's it sits on up here and, and all those kinds of things. But I happened to notice when they brought the table out that this was left on the table, and this is not mine, okay? I don't know who this belongs to, yes? But this is not mine. There are two bites out of that. I don't know who, but my suspicion is it is the young man, Daniel, that plays the cello. But that, that's, that's my sub, suspicion. That's who it is. Yes. And it was left there on purpose. But anyway, I love Daniel. He is amazing. Don't you love to hear him play? It's so tremendous. Yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Daniel. All right. It's awesome. So uh, there you go. That's Daniel's donut. We're... Hey, bro. Love you, man. Love you too. Yeah, love you too, bro. Yes, awesome. Good deal. Hey, by the way, I licked it before I put it back, so just so you know that. <laughs> ah, love it, love it. Isn't it great? Hey, that's community. That's, that's what this is. Hey, we're a big family. And so I want to talk to you about our spiritual journey for a moment today. And, and what I realized this week that this came to me, that our spiritual journey is not like professional bowling. Our, our, our spiritual journey is much like rugby, you know? And, and I thought about that for a moment. Rugby is very much a team sport, Right. It is football without pads and helmets, so it's a very much a contact sport because it is a battle. It is a struggle. If you've ever seen them when they start a rugby match and they put the, the ball down in the middle of the field and they push against one another. It's very much like that within our lives. And, and when, I, when I realize that, I understand that this, this is a journey. This is a process that you and I are on, and sometimes it's a struggle. And that's what really Paul addresses this morning for us in this thought of becoming. So it's Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. I appeal to you, therefore. I stop. I pause for a point because Romans is full of the, the therefores. They're everywhere throughout the book of Romans. And, and what we realize is that they're there for this purpose of relating to us about process and what that means when it says therefore it simply means that there's something has taken place and there's an action or a, a reaction to what has taken place in our life 
because something has changed within us. And we know through the book of Romans thus far, that's been those moments of, of salvation, those moments of justification, that process that we're going through of sanctification within our lives. We've talked about all of those things throughout the book of Romans. So this change in our life must be followed by additional change. And so Paul says, hang on. We've talked about all these things that have changed in your life, but there's something that we need to address that needs to really change here. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I underline that point, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that part, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that made me begin to think. And when you look at this in context, because context is everything, so historical context, we're about eighty fifty seven. This is a metaphor. Whew, aren't you glad? This is a metaphor for you and I this morning about a worshiper coming to the temple and they bring this sacrifice in that form of an animal and they bring it to the temple for forgiveness of sins. But when I begin to read about this, what I realize there's two types of sacrifices or offerings that were brought to the temple during this time that Paul is writing this letter. The first type of offering would be that of a sin offering. And a sin offering is where an animal is selected from their flock or whatever. It's brought to the temple. That blood is let from the animal. And, and then that sin is forgiven. But what I, when, I, when I read that, I realized that also when you read the book of Hebrews, it says that specifically that Jesus is our sin offering. So if he is talking to us about making a sacrifice, he's relating this with a metaphor to the temple, then what sacrifice is he talking about? It can't be that one because Jesus is our sin offering. So it has to be the other one, I guess. It has to be that of the whole burnt offering. And that sounds wild, doesn't it? That sounds rough. Yes, that you take this most valuable animal from your flock. It's the one that's totally spotless. It's the thing that you own that's absolutely the most valuable it, it is what simply would say all you're putting everything in. It's we, we call it you got skin in the game now, right? That you put everything into this. And so it's sort of like, well, it's sort of like when you have someone over for dinner and you really value them or you love them, right? You don't serve them leftovers, right? It's not clean out the refrigerator night. It's not mystery meat night, correct? Yeah, it's not. No, you do your very best. I know when our boys were young and they were at home that usually about Thursday or Friday was that of leftover night. So we take everything out of the fridge. You know, you dig it way out of the back. You'd set it out and somebody say, what's that? I said, don't worry about it. Just eat it. You know, Jesus has covered it. It's blessed. It's okay. And you'll live. And so, you know, so we called it mystery meat night. Right? And so it's, it's leftovers. You don't do that. What do you do when you have some come over that you value? You serve them the very best is exactly what that is. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us. It warrants the very best and not our leftovers. A burnt offering is to be fully uh, at God's disposal. It's a willingness on my part, your part, to obey God at any moment of our life and in any area of our life. And that's really important. This thing of presenting our bodies, this offering of our bodies, I think is, is really a, a point that Paul wants to drive home to us. In this Roman Greco culture, the body was looked as being defiled. The body was, was evil. And so spiritual development in, in the lives of people at this time was seen to take place only in the heart and only in the mind or in the soul. And so the body was sort of left out of all of this. 
And, and what Paul is addressing here is that God just doesn't want from you and I a mental assent. God just doesn't want us just to know about him. God doesn't want you and I to just use words that sound very Christian. And all of us, most of us in this room are very good at that. God wants more than that. He just doesn't want some abstract inward worship of our life. What this is saying to you and I is this. It's about us giving everything. It's about us giving everything. It's a vivid picture. It's a metaphor about us giving everything, that whole burnt offering, and not just giving God leftovers in our lives. Wow. And I thought about that a lot. How many times do I, do I simply relegate God to mystery meat night in my life? I, I relegate him to that moment of leftovers. Think about it. You go through your whole week, you know. If you're working a job, man, you're tired. You come home in the afternoon, you give to your family. And those things are all very good and very positive. Maybe you're a student, you've been studying and and you're just starting your semester back, and, and so this is second semester for you, and that's usually a tough semester uh, because your professors are going to pile it on you now, you know, kind of deal, and, and, and so you're tired. of and, and so at the end of the week, what do you have to give to God? And we relegate God many times to just a, a point in our week, a, 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 a frame of time on a Sunday morning, or if you're at church at home, you know, you watch it whenever you can. And can I say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you have come out on, on the Lord's Day to worship with us. And I'm glad that you're joining us from church at home or whenever you watch uh, online. I'm super glad for that. But I think that when we really look at our lives, we realize that we do give God leftovers at times. Yes, in a lot of ways. Not just, not just time, but there's a lot of ways in which we serve God leftovers within our lives. And I think we forget and we lose sight of the journey that we're on. Because of that, John John Stout John John Stout or John Stott is a John Stott is a, a British theologian, and, and he wrote something very I think profound concerning what Paul is addressing here. And I quote him as saying, "Christian sanctification, the dirt road that you and I walk. That's my part. I put that in there." But he says the Christian sanctification shows itself in deeds of our bodies. And I loosely quote him, and this is what he says, our feet to walk the path and our lips to speak his truth and love and the gospel, our hands to lift up those who have fallen, arms to embrace the lonely and unloved, ears to listen to the distressed, and eyes to simply look humbly and patiently toward God. And it's, I, I say, okay, I get all of that. I really do. But my thought goes back to this sacrifice word because when I read the Bible, when I, when I read the word sacrifice, it's synonymous with death. Something has to die, right? If this is a sacrifice and this is some metaphor about the temple, then something is going to have to die here. And when he puts living and dying or living and killing together, what I realize, I get this, I get this mental image of somebody putting a sacrifice on the altar, but because it's alive, it keeps squirming and trying to get off the altar throughout the process of, of sacrificing. And, and I think, well, maybe that's not far off from the way I live at times and the way you live at times. Because this living sacrifice for you and I is that of a continual renewing of our position in obedience to God. And how many times do you and I find ourselves crawling off the altar, right? We want to do our own thing. We know more than God. Well, we, we, have, a, we, have, we have a better understanding of the future than God does. And so we crawl off that altar of obedience to God, that process of becoming, that sanctification process. And what I realize is that it's a journey about being fully at God's disposal within my life. 
Luke says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, he says, If anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. You see, it's a daily, continual thing in our lives. And follow me, he says. It's the process of becoming for you and I. And I, and I thought, well, what, are, what is Paul writing here that we should become? And he says it very specifically, that we should work toward being holy and acceptable to God. And man, when I, when I look at where I am in that area and where God is in the light of his holiness, whew, I, I, I'm a far, far distance from that. I, I am. And I think, boy, how can I, how can I ever be that within my life? And then I go back to what Paul is saying here about being that living sacrifice, that living, killing kind of situation where I daily submit. I daily submit myself to him on that altar of obedience because my, of my propensity to sin within my life. And then, then I say that he's moving me to being wholly acceptable, and I'm struggling with all this, and Paul knew that. So here's what he says. It's what he says when he first starts out this talk with us. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by what? By the mercies of God. That all of this is covered in God's mercy. I love that. All of this is covered in the mercy of God. It is. And we all need mercy. We all need mercy within our lives. Every moment, every day, every second, that we all need mercy in this journey that we are walking. And so I don't think that any of us can separate ourselves from that fact, that truth, that we need mercy. So, here's the thing. You have met the person next to you, said good morning to them, all right? And I haven't done this in a long time, right? Because of kind of the COVID thing, we kind of don't talk to each other, we wear masks. And I understand all of that, I really do, and I'm not making light of that. And I understand about protecting one another, I do. But for a moment, could you turn to the person next to you and say to them, how much more mercy could you use in your life? Ask him that question. Ask him that question. And you're probably thinking, dude, I know them. They need a whole heap of mercy, right? Yes. Yes. No. Hey, are you going to turn down mercy? No. Nobody's going to say, hey, I don't need that. I have plenty of that. I'm all good. No. And here is the thing. In this process, in this spiritual journey of ours of becoming, of that finding ourselves on that altar that living sacrifice that we are uh, of obedience to God daily because we want to crawl off that thing, man, because we think we want to do it our own way, right? In that moment of, of God moving us and, and changing us to being obedient and accepted in his sight, that what I realize that all of that is covered in mercy. And when I say that, what that means is this, that it's not up to me and how I get it right all the time. In fact, it gives me great freedom, mercy does, to get it wrong at times. And I do that. And you do that also. That I don't have to live under that heavy weight of simply earning and making the score and reaching the mark. It's not that at all. Because all of this is motivated by that of the life-giving gospel message for you and I. And that is that when we did not deserve him, he came for us. He did. When we were his enemies, he died for us. Understand that. Before we ever knew him, he loved us. And all of this is bathed in that mercy of God for you and I and his grace. Wow. 
And you sat there beating yourself up this week because you messed up and because you missed the mark and you fell short a little bit. Can I tell you, God knew that, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the catalyst of all of this of you becoming and the catalyst of all of you, all of this of you belonging in community to God and to one another is about mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness. Yes, it's all of those kinds of things. It's not, my journey is not about just me getting up every morning and working so that when I die, I will go to heaven. There's more to it than that. It's a quality of life. It's a quality of existence for us. It is. It's so powerful that he says that we are holy to God, or to become holy to God. And he said that lifestyle leads us to this pleasing to God of him. That I'm no longer seeking for myself, or I'm no longer seeking that of approval from anyone and everybody else around me. But this is about simply pleasing God. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4. You can read all of that. It's on the screen this morning. But there's a section in there. It says not to please man, but to please God. And that's so powerful for you and I to live under that direction today. And it's the gospel that motivates me to please God. It's the love that God has for me that motivates me to be obedient, to stay on the altar of sacrifice in my life, to stay there and let God do his complete work within my life. And it's not my own will or my own power, but his mercy. Wow. So, let's do some work together, okay? Here it is. So, Mark... I mean, you're, you're halfway through this morning, you know, kind of deal. And well, how do you know I'm halfway through? I mean, I could just be like on the first paragraph, right? But I am. So let's do some work because I think we do that before we pray in a few moments together. So here's the thing. Here's the question. What do you need to offer on the sacri- altar of sacrifice today? What do you need to offer on the altar of sacrifice today? What do you need to bring under obedience in your life? I have six questions for you. Okay? And here they are. They're, they're questions to to spark some thought, to, to help you to look within yourself this morning. And here's the first one. I think it's going to help you a lot to see what you need to place on that altar of obedience. What is the one thing in life that you are most worried about losing? Wow. What is the one thing in life that you are most worried about losing? Because I think many times that would point us to an idol in our life. It would point to something that is supreme above everything even god within our life so what is that is it a relationship well what what is it what is that one thing that is the thing you need to bring to that altar of obedience today here's the second question if you could change anything in your life at this very moment what would it be what would it be wow that's a that's a huge question yeah you you say Hey, it's the person that I came with this morning. Yes, I would like to change that relationship. You can't, you're married, okay? Understand that, right? You can't do that. So, uh, well, whatever. And, and that's another sermon, right? So, so what, do you, what do you want to change? Here's the third question. And I would tell you they get better, but they, they get tougher, I think. What or who in your life, what or who in, in, in life has caused you to become bitter? What's caused you to become bitter? Wow. Can Christians be bitter? Sure. Absolutely they can. Life has a way of doing that to us. So what or who in life has caused you to be bitter? Because that's the thing you need to bring to that altar of obedience today. Here's the fourth one. What or who can't you forgive? And, and I, I helped you a little bit. I put yourself as an appropriate answer because for some of you, that's the answer. 
Yeah, it is. So the fifth is this. Where do you turn for comfort when the heat is on in your life? And boy, that's a struggle for many people. It is. Because when you get under pressure, you usually turn to something that is self-gratifying and, and, and many times is sinful for you in your life. And you, you know exactly where I'm headed with that. And so what do you turn to? Because that's the thing you need to bring that all, all, the, all, the altar of obedience this morning. And the sixth, whew, aren't you glad? They're almost over, right? Whew, you better breathe, okay? Ah, but you better breathe difficult on this one, hard on this one here. Whose approval are you seeking utmost? And I, and I help you. Do not say God unless there is no doubt in your mind that it is the truth. He knows when you are lying, okay? Right? Just be real. Some of you, some, some of you are racing God right now. Oh, if I could get that off my page, you know, before he sees that, right? Yes. I, I had someone text me between services, and, and they said, I'm a liar. That's what they said, you know, right? Because, being honest, what is or whose approval do you seek utmost in your life? And here's what I put in my notes this week after I did all of this. I put, you're a hot mess. I mean, really, that's it. Yeah? And, and, and I'm looking at a room that's a hot mess this morning. Really? Yes. But let me tell you how God sees you. And I think this is important. That when I realize that what we have learned through the book of Romans is that the way God sees me, God sees me through the obedience of his son because this is about obedience. So God sees me through the obedience of his son. And if you look in Matthew, I think it's chapter 3 and verse 17, it is where God says to his son that he is well pleased in him. And so when I put those together and realize that we are seen by God the Father through the obedience of his son, and so that God the Father says that he is pleased within his son, then when God sees you and I, even in our brokenness, even in our sinful lives, even in the struggles of this life, what does God say about us? How does God see us? And here's what he says to us, I believe, with you I am well pleased. That's exactly what he says. Because we are children of grace and we're children of his mercy. And we love to please our Father who is pleased with us. And that really is the key to obedience in our life, isn't it? That we love to please our Father who is pleased with us. And that's something that we have to know about how God sees us today. So, if you say to me, Mark, I'm struggling with unforgiveness. Can I tell you God knows? God knows that. If you would say to me today, hey, Mark, I'm bitter. God knows that. Some of you, some of you wrote your answer down that page of who or what you're bitter at. So we, he knows that. If you're disillusioned and you say, I've failed to trust God and a lot of things that's happened recently in, in the world around me, then God knows that. Absolutely. Can I get really, really personal with you this morning? And you, ha- you know, you got to love me, right? This, the Bible says you got to do that. Sorry. But that's what you, ha- you get. A ch- you get this wonderful privilege, right, of doing that. But I think that if you're struggling with fear, that God, God knows that about you. Understand that. And for some of you that are sitting here and you're struggling with sexual battles within your life, God knows that. 
And for some of you, you're sitting here and you're struggling with same-sex attraction. And you're, you're fighting and you're struggling with that. God knows that. God knows those things. Nothing is hid to Him. And when He sees you in the light of His Son's obedience, what He says about you is that I am well pleased with you. And that makes no sense in our world. It doesn't add up, does it? It just doesn't come together in some kind of formula and make any sense for you and I because it's scandalous grace, because it's outrageous love, because it is miraculous mercy for you and I, and our journey to God is covered in that. That's the journey we're on. My oldest son, Chadwick, He's a grown man, bigger than I am now. When he, was, when he was younger, he played Little League Baseball. And Chad, he loved, he loved wearing the uniform more than he liked playing the game. I don't know if you've ever had a kid like that, right? You know, It's like, how do I look? You look great, son. That's not the important thing. The important thing is playing baseball, right? And so Chad had this, this is home plate, if you, I'm, I'm sure most of you know what that is, right? Chad had this bad habit he developed in that when he would get up to bat, Chad would get in the batter's box, and as soon as he would see the the pitcher wind up and release the ball, he would step out of the box like this and swing, right? That's not the way you play. I I know that. Him and I had a lot of discussions about that. We did. And and so he would do that continually. And finally, I said, you know, i got to do something about this. Well, the reason he did that is because early in the season that year, he got hit with a fast pitch. And it hurts. I mean, there's no doubt. You get beaten with a baseball, you know. I mean, it has an indelible mark on your skin and your mind, right? And so he would step out of that. Every time the pitcher would about release the ball, step back, swing, he would miss, strike out. So here's what I thought would help. I thought that if I would be the coach and, and I would help him, then we could kind of remedy this thing. So during the times of the game, when he was up here batting, I would get behind the backstop, the fence, and I would stand there and I would talk to him while he's trying to hit during the game, right? Now, everybody's hearing this. All the parents are seeing this. All of his friends on the team are, are, are in the middle of this. And I would say, get in the box, get in the box, stay in the box, stay in the box. He'd step out of the box and say, dude, you got to stay in the box. You got to swing. And then the umpire would be down here. And I remember these. And the umpire would go do this to me. He'd look at me like this, like... Like, dude, you're about to get thrown out is what was going to happen, yeah? And then Chad would give me this terrible look like, Dad, you are embarrassing me. I will never live this down. I will be in therapy when I'm 40 because of this, because of what you're doing to me. So I thought that's the wrong tactic. So I said, this is what we're going to do then. We're going to take this home, and we're going to work on this in the backyard. So we did. He reminded me yesterday in a conversation that, and I forgot about this process that I developed, that during those days, that the way to get over this, I thought, was I dressed him in two or three of his winter coats, real heavy coats, standing in the backyard, and then I'd throw baseballs at him. That's what I would do. <laughs> right? It works. Yes. Because I wanted him to know that he would live after getting hit, right? I mean, could you imagine if somebody sees that? That's abuse. You go to jail for that. You can't do that to your children. So I'm not saying that you should follow my example, right? No. 
I can just imagine seeing that little guy. He wore little round glasses back then, you know, and, and that little guy back there in the backyard. And I'm just throwing baseballs at him, hitting him. He's like, Dad, stop. No, you're going to get, you're going to learn this, kid. You're going to learn this. You're going to be okay. And, and so I thought about this as I was putting all of this teaching together. That I did that because I, I was completely committed to my son, as I am to the other two, completely committed. And I did that not because of, not be, and this is important, I did that not because of what he could become. And I think this is where we get our journey a little skewed. I didn't do those things because of what he could become. But I did those things because he was mine. You see, what makes that true is that the fact is if he decided to continually step out of the box, it wasn't because I, I it wouldn't mean that I would love him less. It, it didn't mean that, that I would disapprove of him in any way. It was not that at all because he was assured of my love regardless of whether he hit the ball or, or struck out every time he got to bat. But what I realized is that deep within Chad, deep within Chadwick, he wanted to get a hit. He really did. He wanted to get a hit. But it wasn't to gain my love because he was assured of my love already. Get this. But he wanted to get a hit for me because he knew he was already loved. And if it was about or if he didn't know that he was already loved, then it would be his efforts to try to try to win my approval. But it was because he knew that he was already loved that it was an effort for his father. You see, I think that's where some of us struggle with obedience in our journey. Is our obedience is always trying to earn the approval and love of the father when you already have the love and approval of the father and that's what drives your obedience. Does that make sense to you? It's no wonder we struggle with being obedient. It's no wonder we find ourselves wiggling off the altar of that, of that living sacrifice in our lives. It's no wonder we do it because we forget. And I think what happens is if you lack that motivation fueled by mercy and grace, if you lack the knowledge that you are loved, if you've forgotten that God is pleased with you, God is pleased with you in life, even as those times when you make mistakes that God does not disapprove of you, if you understand that God is absolutely pleased with you, then what you realize is this, that this journey, this journey that you're on today is on his shoulders and it's not completely on your shoulders and it takes some great weight off of us in life. And I think that for some of you, you're tired, you're exasperated and, and you're, you're just beating yourself up all, every day because you wiggle off the altar all the time of that, of, of, self, of, of sac- living sacrifice. And you do that because you're constantly trying to earn God's love and, God, and his acceptance. The reality is you stay on the altar, that you are obedient to God, that you do the things that God has asked you to do. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong, that you're obedient to him in your life and all those areas of your life. Why? Because you're already loved. And that's the fuel that drives you. So here's what he says, and I tie it all together with this before we actually join as a community in some next steps with people this morning. It's verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what I realize is this, that this is transformation, the struggle not to conform. And that's a huge struggle for us because I think after conversion, after conversion, the way we see Christianity a lot of times is this, and our journey is we see it as just another list of things to do, that we trade in one list for another. We're no longer having this list of sinful things to do. Now we have this list of godly things that we should be doing, and we replace one list or another, and we got to work really hard so when we die or when we get killed, that somehow that we're going to go to heaven. And Paul says, wait, stop. you got to take a moment to breathe. Because what I'm talking to you about today is this radical, I'm talking about a radical way of living, is what he's saying, a quality of life. And it requires for your mind to be transformed, is what he's saying. To you to think differently. That what I realize is that when he uses the word transformed, it's a word where we get the word metamorphosis from. And when you think of metamorphosis, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What is it? It's not It's not a worm. It's a what? A butterfly, right? Yes. Yes. You have the you have the caterpillar. You have the cocoon and you have the butterfly. And what? Hey, we all want to be the butterfly, man. That's where we want to be. Right. We want to get to that beautiful species. That's what we want. But can I tell you, you don't get to the butterfly until you pass through the cocoon. Have you ever read what happens in a cocoon? It's rough. It is. That in a cocoon, and some of you biology majors will correct me later, and that's good, that's fine, because I'm not an expert here, but what I realize is that there are enzymes that are released in that cocoon, and there is a more, there is more than an outward transformation. There's an inward tra- transformation that takes place. And, and what I understand is that we'll give him a moment. That you can't get there. You can't become the person that God has designed you to become. until you place yourself on that altar of living sacrifice, that place of transformation in your life, that place of obedience for you. Because our walk with God is more than the statement of, I just don't do the things I used to do. It's more than that. The walk with God now is that I think differently. I see things differently. I feel differently about my brother or my sister. I love people that before I probably would have avoided them. God has lavished my life with grace and mercy, so I live toward others with grace and mercy. I think that In our walk with God, we see that God's purpose in our life is to get us to being the butterfly. Have you ever thought that perhaps 
God's greater purpose is to get you in the cocoon. To transform your life. And not just the deeds of your hands. Because I think that's where we miss this. Paul even talks about the will of God. And man, in this room, with the ages that are in this room, that's a big thing right now. It's the will of God, right? I want to know the will of God. God, do you want me to marry him? God, you know, is he like a knight on a, on a white horse? I've said this before, right? Or is he like a dud on a donkey? I don't know what he is, right? So I, I don't know. God, send me a sign. Send me a cloud in the sky that looks like the Virgin Mary. Then I'm good, right? Yeah. God, God what, do you, what do you want me to do? And, and here's the thought. Have you ever thought, in the, because Paul is talking about transformation within us, have we ever thought that perhaps the will of God is more about a position of our heart than it is a geographical location of our body? Maybe we've never thought that way before. I think we've conditioned ourselves over the years to think, well, if I'm going to discern the will of God, then that's about where I'm going to be. And we never think that, well, if you look at this in context, Paul is really talking about it's more of who I'm going to be. Because the miracle of the butterfly and the caterpillar, in my opinion, unqualified, is the cocoon. Because there's transformation that takes place there. So for you that are really on the journey, and man, we're all on the journey together, and you're struggling with this of, God, I'm... You know, I take five steps forward and ten steps back all the time in my relationship with you. And, and I, would, I would really question your motives. You say, Mark, that's not nice. Listen, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it because you're earning something? Or maybe you should rethink things. And look at what Paul says to us today. That you're already loved. You're already accepted. He's already said over you that he's well pleased. That's the catalyst for your obedience in him today. So for a moment, before we have this moment with people in our next steps in baptism, would you bow your heads and let's pray together? Father, your word has opened our hearts and our minds this morning. Your word has challenged us to think different. Your word has gone right to the core of something that we have held close for years. That's our journey with you. And the motivations to why we do what we do many times answers the results that we have gotten over the years of frustration and failure. of holding ourselves to a standard that we in no way can meet. So God, 
Speak to us today. Help us to see that the transformation is the destination. Everything else is a result of that within our lives. So, Lord, we bring ourselves to the altar of living sacrifice today. We bring those things to you today, God, in obedience. We place them before you, God. We become obedient in those areas and struggles of our lives. But never doubting, God, the overwhelming truth that you unconditionally love us. And this is not about what we could be. This is about because we are yours. And that changes everything today, Lord. So heal our hearts and our minds. Lift the load of guilt that we carry and replace it with your mercy and your love and your grace. Father, give us the strength through your mercy and grace to stay on the altar of obedience in our lives. Realizing that this is not about pleasing others, but about pleasing you. Because you are pleased with us. Father, we thank you, and we give you praise in your name.